here's Keith and I. Doug is slowing down and moving off to the side and ready to start talking about retirement. Herb is right behind him. Keith and I have been at the grind at this company forever. And I looked at my partner, Keith, and I said, look, there's four today. There's soon going to be two. And I'm not ready to take on their responsibilities. We need to get somebody in here that can take us to the next level. You referred to the Cowboys. It's a it's an internal joke amongst the four of us. You know, it's Doug Muller on a horse and Keith on a paint horse and Herb and me, and we're just out in the Wild West doing what we're doing. And we realize that as we grow, that you can't do that anymore. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. I want to thank Oxbox for sponsoring this episode. They fully admit they're not everything to everybody and they have a really specific business model. Yeah, I, I think this will be a throwback for the young kids that love to enjoy our podcast, but there was a, a movie called City Slickers with Billy Crystal and Jack Palance. And there's a moment in the movie where they're riding horses and Jack Palance's character, Curly, offers some advice about, uh, do you know what the secret of life is? It's one thing, just one thing. You stick to that and the rest don't mean shit. Well, that's the guiding principle at Oxbox. That's how they provide best-in-class, heavy-duty packaging with outstanding service. If you're looking for heavy-duty or jumbo box manufacturing, they're the ones to call. Oxbox is strength you can depend on. Check them out at www.oxbox.com. Now, back to the show. Joe, this, this is going to be an interesting test of our metal and focus and concentration. We've got some longtime friends, longtime industry veterans, and just a group of wonderful people that I've had the pleasure of knowing since I started in the business. Keith Umloff, Jeff Quinn, and Mike Mulrow from The Hair Group are uh, going to join us today, and we're going to dig into their story a little bit, not only about their longevity and, and I'd say a business pivot that's taken place over the tenure of the company, both transitioning from Doug Muller to, to Jeff and Keith, but also then the transition from those gentlemen to Mike Mulrow, new to the industry, but certainly a tremendous talent. And we're lucky to have them in our industry. And, and we'll dig in and hopefully five voices all competing at one time won't go absolutely haywire for the listener. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think from my perspective, you look at hair from the outside looking in and I see them in the box score and BCN with these beautiful ads. So put together when we see them at AICC meetings, and then you pull up their website and they have a vision that's stated very clearly with core values that are out there. So personally speaking, I'm looking forward to just peeling back the layers to their company, seeing what they're all about, obviously their history, but more where they see this industry going. So gentlemen, welcome. Thank Glad you, to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Why don't you guys just one of you take the mic and Maybe give us two, three minute commercial on hair, what you guys do, who you service, and where you're at in the industry at the moment. Hair is all about people. It's not about the machinery and it's not about the equipment, but it's all about the people. And it's about our people and it's about our customers. And so if you really peel back the onion as we prepared for this, that's what we talk about. And we just left the conference for Tappy and Bob Chapman was the speaker there, one of the keynotes. And what he talked about was the people and how can we change lives in a positive way every day. And we're using hair to do that. We sell uh, new equipment and we sell pre-owned equipment. But the biggest thing that we do every day is we come to work and we change lives. Why don't we rewind? 1983 is when you joined, Jeff. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Uh, but the story starts a little bit before you. So can you give us a little history on what hair was when it started, what year, who started it, and give us back, take us back to the humble beginnings of hair. Okay. Hair is almost 50 years old. We're going to be celebrating our 50-year anniversary here in a couple of years, but Tom Hare was a corporate engineer, and he worked for Continental Can, and he worked for Corco. He was 54 years old, was actually working for a firm in Chicago called Norman Albin, and was going to be purchasing that firm from Norm Albin. They dealt a lot with warehousing and reconditioning of equipment and pre-owned equipment. 
Norm Albin decided he wanted to keep it, and Tom decided that he wanted to go ahead and do this on his own. So he had a non-compete, 20-mile radius, found a place in northwest Indiana, came down, bought a home on a golf course in a lake, and started up the firm in 1975. And in 1976, he hired Doug Muller, a young kid that he worked with at Norm Albin, and that's when Hare was born. And they started off in a place in Maryville called Twin Towers, had a couple desks together, Campbell soup can between them with some pens and pencils and some paper, and they got on the phone and they started calling customers. But the thing that Tom instilled from the very beginning was always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. He came from a corporate world back in the 70s where people weren't necessarily treated well. And he said, you know what? We're going to treat everybody well. And those are values that he started way back when, and that's where we are today. It's interesting to me, knowing I've known Doug a long time as well, and just to be in, in the same industry, same space, same company for that kind of tenure, I speaks volumes of at your core what what you guys represent. I think you're you're only as good as your name at the end of the day. And I think that's a very interesting dynamic. Kind of walk us through as the business starts to grow and Doug and Tom are working together. Obviously you gentlemen join, this starts to to unfold and evolve. What's the dynamic like as you work your way through a couple of different sea changes in our industry in that seventies, eighties time frame, there were a lot of executives or salespeople leaving the industry going off on their own. You're on the front end of a growth opportunity. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the, the, the takeoff and then your joining and how this begins to, to take form. So I started with Hare in 1989. And at that time we were, to your point, Gene, very involved in the startup of a lot of sheet plants. There were plants being formed from guys that had left corporate offices. So we were really involved with the startup of a lot of plants. And I think that's what has led to the birth and the growth of the relationships that we have sustained over the decades. So it was a time of growth. Uh, we had a, a good team in place and to Jeff's point, the values, all not, although not enumerated uh, and put on a plaque somewhere like Mike has done, have been the same core values that we've had for many decades. Can you go back to those mid-80s, late-80s when you first joined, Keith, and just paint a picture of what the environment was like at Hare at the time? How many employees are we talking? Was it the Wild West where you guys were just having fun? <laughs> and yeah. I don't think the West was even established yet. I think no. they created the Wild West. <laughs> no, it, Joe, a uh, great question. And actually, even when I started in 89 and we're calling on people, we tell them who we were with, and they're like, who? So... We were still forming a, a name identity, even in 1989. At that time, we were primarily into the pre-owned side. We were the um, agent for a North American rotary die cutter that had started in 85 that we were a part of starting up. So we did have the, the new equipment that we've been selling since the mid-80s. At that time, though, we were very strong in our warehouse in a reconditioning program on pre-owned equipment. So we had a, a shop with maybe a dozen guys, half a dozen guys in sales, probably a company size of about 26, 27 people at that time in the late 80s. As you guys are, you're coming up in the organization. Um, do you remember your first sale? Who, who, your, who your first sale was, Keith? Do you, do you remember? I do. You share yeah. a little bit of, of kind of that story, an exciting win, but... I think those relationships in this space, at least, seem to last a lifetime. Yeah, I'm gonna, and I'll speak, I'll answer that question on two fronts. My first machinery sale was actually a Thompson Platten die cutter for twenty-eight thousand dollars. So I was really excited about that twenty-eight hundred dollar commission that Hare had earned. But when I think of my first sale, and it actually will tie into even maybe a question on mentors, but. My first sale that was meaningful to me was cracking an individual, a company that we had never done business with. And for three years, when I called this gentleman, he shared with me, I deal with another company, another individual. I've been loyal to them. You seem like a nice guy. Thanks for the call. And, 
that was for three years. And then finally I sold Jim Haglin of Central Container, a piece of equipment, and that was in 1992. And that has began the journey of a great friend, a great mentor. Yeah, really a great mentor in my life and, and somebody that has taught me a lot about people, about customers, and about business. That would be my greatest sale. So I don't necessarily remember my first sale. I started as a young man. I was uh, 19 years old in college and looking for somewhere to work and had a neighbor that introduced me to Tom Heron, Doug Muller. So I started in the shop. And then when I graduated from uh, school, I came to the company and started working in sales. But the first big sale, the big impactful sale was when we sold our very first Abstar rotary die cutter. And it was to a, a dear friend of mine, two and a half hours down the road, family business. Uh, his father had started the business. They had failed a couple times. Uh, the son took the business over and was probably one of the hardest working people that I had ever seen. Not only was he running the company, not only was he selling, but he was repairing the equipment. He was running the equipment and he was doing it all on his own. And I talked to Keith and I talked to Doug and I said, you know what, why don't we go ahead and get a hold of Bob Peter at Tri Lakes Container and see if he'd be interested in putting in our first rotary die cutter. And we went down there and we sat with him and we said, Bob, we're looking for a win here. And he said, first thing I'm going to tell you is I don't fly. He said, you know what, how are we going to make this work? When we were we Star into hair, I called him that day and I said, Bob, the machine's here. He said, I'll be there in two hours. He helped us get it off the truck. We pulled the plastic back. He examined it. And that night we went out and had dinner and I uh, pulled his checkbook out and he wrote a check on the spot. And the rest is history. And that was 2005 that that occurred. And we installed his machine in 2006. And we're proud to say it's still running today. That's neat. You guys, I'll dig into that a little bit. You said, Keith, late 80s, you make this transformation where you start to sell some new equipment. What's the discussion deliberation like in, in that in that scenario and that decision to do that? And then some of the challenges you faced. That that's a win, which is great, but obviously they're not all wins as you guys basically chart new territory. So right. as you looked at the business model, you said to yourself, okay, what how can we leverage what we have? Right? We're building these relationships, as Keith said. We're selling pre-owned equipment. But as you looked out into the future as technology changes okay, how do, how, what do we see coming down the road in five years? And so we had an opportunity through a relationship that Tom Hare had to represent this manufacturer here in the United States to sell rotary die cutters. They knew how to build them and we knew how to sell them and we had the relationships. And we sold the very first machine. It was two and a half years late, okay? That machine is still running today, but from a business model point of view, how do you take what you've got and continue the growth. And for us, it's always been important. You have to stay ahead of the growth. Jim Collins wrote a book, From Good to Great, and he talks about you always have to be growing. You always have to be growing. And that's what we continue to do today. So then you guys established this relationship domestically, new equipment. So now you've cut your teeth in that, and then you, you move offshore. You create a second relationship. And I believe that was also fairly new to the industry. So we had that product line from the mid-80s up until the early 2000s. Uh, they decided they wanted to sell their business, and their consultant uh, advisor advised them that they really needed an in-house sales staff because they were relying upon an agent, and that would not really bode well for, for their so it was, at that time, it was uh, somewhat of a hit because we had sold probably close to 150 rotary die cutters into North America. So we had that void from the early 2000s un until we connected with the, the AppStar line in 2005. So that was, you talk about a tougher time, that was a season of, not that the rotary die cutter sales was a huge part of our business because pre-owned was still really strong even into the early 2000s, but it was, it certainly was a hit. We had a, about a three-year void of no new machinery. We spent that time vetting out 
several different OEMs, some that we pursued, some that had contacted us. And it was really an aligning of the stars. Jim Hagland, who I referenced, was indirectly a role in the introduction of us to to the to the AppStar line. It's funny when you think back, there was a time where we were asked by Doug Muller at the time, and we were, I forget the sales number, but say that it, whatever it was, and Doug had said, what if you were three times the growth of this? Is that what you would really want? Why, and then why would you want that? Yeah. That's funny. With growth comes complexity. We've yeah. talked to a number of people on the podcast that kind of share that dynamic, and, and it's never easy. And I commend you guys for stepping into the abyss because that's what it is. 1983, 1989, there was a fourth partner. You guys are starting to grow. You're asked to become partners in this business. Maybe talk about how roles evolve. Do they evolve? Is it really just that dynamic of maybe, hey, let's just maybe stay small and slow, controlled growth, and that way we don't have to take on too much in, in terms of staff or responsibility or things like that. So maybe peel back some of that and just talk about how you go from a part-time college kid at this company, uh, you know, to where you are today. We, we can't unpack all of that, but I think there's probably some pivotal moments along the way that we, we'd like you to, to each maybe share with us on how this evolution starts to take place. I think you have to go back to the beginning and you look at Tom Hare. He's in his mid-50s starting up this company and he really did it just so that he had something to do for the last 10 years before he retired. And he brought Doug in and said to Doug, look, let's get this thing going. And when I'm ready to retire, you just take it over. So we're renting space in the Twin Towers in Merrillville and we're brokering equipment and that's what we're doing. And then there was an idea that, you know what, maybe we ought to get a shop. Maybe we ought to get a shop where we can bring equipment in here, maybe buy it on speculation, clean it up a little bit and let's get into that business. So they started that business Rented a, a shop in Crown Point that I worked in, probably the hottest place in Crown Point, Indiana. So we started with this shop. Then that business started to take off. And I give a lot of credit to the owners of the company at that time. They said, you know what? Maybe we need to be under one, one space. So they went out and they bought property. And in 1985, they built a building where we're still at today. We've gone through three expansions there. But I look back at that and I say to myself, what a ballsy move. These guys are living and dying on hunting every day, finding the machinery to list, listing the machinery, selling the machinery, making your commission, right? And we had just started with the domestic manufacturer for the rotary die cutters then, but we didn't know where that was going to go. And so you talk about risk takers. They were risk takers. They put it all out on the line and they built this building. And, and Keith and Mike and I talk about that all the time. That was a big step in a big transition to who Hare was, but we get back to leveraging, okay? We have these relationships. We have this pre-owned sector that we're dealing with. How are we going to grow? You can't grow just on pre-owned machinery. And so even today in 2023, Keith and Mike and I sit down and we say, okay, what else can we be doing? What else can we be doing to service our customers? Now, in terms of the partnership, Gene, there was a 10-year span difference between Keith and I and, and Herb and Doug. And Herb and Doug are at a different stage in their life, right? Keith and I are the drivers here. We want more. Let's do more. How do we do more? And then you have partners that are saying, you know what? That's fine. We'll endorse you to do that, but we have a different game plan. We're 10 years further down the road than what you guys are. And so when we got into the AppStar line of rotary die cutters, the first year, I think we sold one in 2006. And then that next year, what did we sell, Keith? Two? Two or three. <laughs> Two or three. So we doubled sales, right? Yeah. yeah. For you listeners, that's called risk tolerance that Jeff is talking about. It's just, you guys go do what you want to do, but at your own peril. Right. Were there moments in that time frame, as you say, you guys were ready to grow, ready to put everything in? and Herb was averse to the risk. Did you guys clash or was there all, any time during that period of your lives where there were moments? I see, I see different nods. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> different perspectives. Yeah, Doug, Doug and Herb. So 
I, yeah, just a little backstory still. So Tom started the company. Doug was his first employee. Jeff came on in 83. I was hired in 89. And then Herb Paso was hired in 90. Herb, a strong business guy, very intelligent, um, just steady leader, but very conservative. Doug, very conservative. So anytime you're talking about growth or risk, that was always a challenge with those guys. But we were shaking our heads, but for different reasons. We all did get along and work together well, but just getting things done and growing, anytime you had those discussions, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. You both know both of your families quite well. So around that early 2000s, relatively young families still, you guys are national, if not global, North American, quite a presence. You guys home? Are you all over the place? Are you taking red eyes home to to make a baseball game? Was it chaotic? And how do you attribute all this success to being able to keep an eye on spinning six plates at one time? Yeah, Gene, that was, that was go to the early 2000s. That was a very crazy time for me. I did a lot of travel. We all had different roles. Herb was the great businessman back at the office. I've always been very involved on the sales side. Jeff is our governor. He keeps everybody happy at the office. But I had three-year-old triplets at that time and a a wife battling a a health issue. So it was a crazy time, but that's where community comes in. I have strong support group around me, a great team back at Hare. But yeah, there there were red eyes. There were long trips, a lot of international trips. So yeah, it was a very busy time in my life. Can't imagine. I can barely deal with one three-year-old at one time. I don't know if I could deal with three at one time. You, you, Keith, you just touched on an, an interesting thing I want to ask about is kind of roughly outline the roles that you fell into as sales and the governor. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Was that uh, a conversation where you guys sat down and distinguished those roles or did you just naturally fall into what you were good at and it was an unspoken uh, position that you guys came into? Great question, Joe. And I, and I would say the latter is probably how it all came about. Uh, we just naturally gravitated to areas where all players on the field and strengths became to be identified and just rolled into those roles. But yes, then it did become discussion points and defining those roles and then it collectively as a group and trying to hold each other accountable to the various areas of responsibility within the company. The difference between a groove and a rut is depth. And you guys have just found a groove. And I think that unpack a little bit about what Key said. I don't, I don't think this is unique to hair. Multiple partners in any situation are challenging. Uh, you do your best to trust each other. That's key. That's piece one. You stay aligned and you have to get the smelly skunk on the table, as Lee Shilatel used to say all the time. But I think you guys trust each other, your brothers. And I think that allows these tough, challenging situations to, to be resolved, to get, to get agreement, to get focus, and then we move on. And I think there's a deep lesson there because there's too many situations where people can't get to that level of trust. And it's not always perfect. I get that, but it's impressive. So Doug decides to begin to move by the wayside and, and then Herb eventually, and you guys go on a search we find this interesting character here that, that has a, a quite unique background. Mike Mulrow, a lot of people don't know, professional baseball player who decided to come in the box business, right. I believe. Is, right. that the, actually, is that the story? Actually, wrestler, WWW, <laughs> so that's what it was. But Yeah, so my background, many years in the healthcare system, leading a, most recently a large academic medical center in Chicago. Left there in July of 2020 and took some time off and didn't do a whole lot of much of anything other than play some golf and realized I can't play golf every day and take care of the garden every day. So knew I needed to do, wanted to continue working, had a lot of energy, felt I had a lot of things I can still con- could uh, contribute, looked at different options. And then lo and behold, in the fall of, I guess the fall of 20, I ran into Jeff, who I knew through uh, mutual friends, but didn't know him well at all. And uh, we got to talking and Jeff said to me, I hear you're not at the hospital anymore. Why don't you come talk to us? And I looked at him and I said, Jeff, I have no idea what you do. So he invited me over and I met Keith and 
met to met Herb and talked to some folks there, and can we kind of started this process of me getting to know who Hare was, and ended up in a conversation about me becoming president. And I looked at it, and I did a little bit of research, and it was obvious to me it was just the right opportunity for me at the right time. Maybe just back up a second. Clearly, this wasn't a spur of the moment decision. You just had a conversation with Mike and said, "Why don't you?" Come talk. How did that? How did that go? What made you think this man was a, a great candidate for the position? Well, if we can go back to how we how we ended up deciding on a president, here's Keith and I. Doug is slowing down and moving off to the side and ready to start talking about retirement. Herb is right behind him. Keith and I've been at the grind at this company forever. And I looked at my partner Keith and I said, "Look, there's four today." There's soon going to be two, and I'm not ready to take on their responsibilities. We need to get somebody in here that can take us to the next level. You referred to the Cowboys earlier. It's a it's an internal joke amongst the four of us. You know, it's Doug Muller on a horse and Keith on a paint horse and Herb and me, and we're just out in the Wild West doing what we're doing. And we realize that as we grow, that you can't do that anymore, right? We need to hire somebody that can come in and teach us what we don't know, right? And so Keith was 100% on board with that. Then where do you even start? How do you even find that guy? And I always believe that you got guardian angels out there and they lead you in those directions. And Mike and I were in an event for Andrean High School, our alma mater. And I saw Mike after the event and I said, hey, Mike, we're looking to hire a president here to take us to the next level. He said, Quinn, let me ask you a question. What the hell do you do anyways? Nobody knows what you do. (laughs) And I said, we're in the box business. And he said, the box business? What's the box business? So he came over and had lunch at Hare. And I said, listen, when you go home tonight and you're cutting the lawn, look around and I think you're going to see the FedEx truck and you're going to see the DHL truck and you're going to see the UPS truck and the Amazon truck. He said, okay, what's your point? I said, they all have boxes in them. He said, who cares? I said, Mike, take a look and let me know what you think. And? And I did. And I looked at it, looked at the little research and you look at e-commerce and where that's at and sustainability and it just made a lot of sense. But it was more than one interview. It was actually about five interviews. So I continued to come back to here and meet everybody. And I finally told him, Jeff, we need to make a decision or else I'm just going to come here every day for lunch because I've spent so much time here. But yeah. When you walked in and, you know, Jeff, uh, you you say you're a bunch of cowboys, you know, running wild. I mean, did you see that? Was your perception on an initial walkthrough? I probably should have asked more questions during the interview (laughs) process, to be honest with you, but no, that's a joke. But no, probably didn't see that so much. You can, you could tell that they were passionate about what they were doing and they loved the industry. And I got a pretty good sense that they wanted to work on the business rather than in the business. And, and as I got in there, it was, that's where they need to be, right? And they have such great reputations in the industry and uh, have so many contacts. As the president, that's where I want them spending their time. So from that standpoint, it, I think it's working out. Um, but no, during the interview process, it was probably difficult to tell that they were uh, the cowboys that they are, frankly. How do you I appreciate the insight into the kind of meeting Mike, take us to the next level, those kinds of things. But culturally, it's not easy to turn the steamship in the bathtub when it comes to a loose organizational structure, decision-making style. In order to get to the next level, there has to be a foundation of a little more structure. How do you go about? When I got into the organization, I purposely wanted to take some time to get to know the organization, right? And when you talk to people that work there, particularly Jeff and Keith, you get painted a pretty good picture of who the organization is from our standpoint of our core values and our mission and what we're all about. But that wasn't fair. It hadn't been articulated, I don't think, to the organization in an appropriate way. So I think that was actually the foundation was to take the time to understand who here is for me, but then make sure as, as an organization, everybody understood that and what we were all about. So for me, that was the starting point, right? Who are we? What are we trying to do? Uh, what are our core values? Let's make sure everybody's aware of those and really start those conversations and start trying to incorporate that in our day-to-day work, right? Because I firmly believe that those values drive behaviors and those behaviors drive performance. So that was the starting point for me. And then you can start getting into 
all right, how do we identify great performance, right? What does that look like? What are the metrics that drive that we feel are important from that perspective? For me, that was actually the starting point. How about from your perspective, Jeff and 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 Keith, you've been in the business for 30 years. It's your business and your decisions have been, have been impacting the business for a long time, or if not yours, the people right around you that you grew up in the business with. And now an outsider comes in and maybe wants to put his stamp on the business a little bit or his ideas. How do you deal with that if it's something you have? have not maybe necessarily agreed with, or maybe there's a bit of conflict that you're not used to? Well, for Keith and I, we were always there doing. We were the doers, right? And all of a sudden, one day we woke up and we realized we're, we're not the doers. We hired somebody else to do that for the organization and to take us to the next level. And we had to redefine what we were going to be doing on a, on a day-to-day basis. And we're really there to support Mike and let Mike run the organization, and Mike's put together his management team. And Keith and I were not invited to the management meeting. And I said to Mike, why aren't we invited? He said, because that's not the role that that we need you in here. And so it, it took some time for Keith and I to realign to where we are at now. We still love going to Core Expo. We love going to AICC. We love talking with our customers and being with the people that we've been around with for forever. But it was a, it was an interesting transition. Mike is Mike's going to be with us here for three years in in March, and he's become part of the family. And he's one of our brothers, and we trust him implicitly. The strange thing is, you're at your desk, and why are we at our desk? We're at our desk because that's what we've been doing forever. But as I sit at my desk, I say to myself, I don't have to be at my desk like I used to be, I can actually get more done at home thinking versus here doing. And it's been an interesting role for Keith and I to move into that transition. But I have to be honest with you, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Everybody within hair is behind Mike. Mike has done a great job becoming the leader of the company and the leader of the organization. And it's an exciting time for us because we're, we're getting ready to take that next step and go to the next level. So how do you three stay connected? How do you, is there a formal cadence? Is it informal? How do you, because I know you two quite well, and so there has to be things that pop up into your head. And how do you allow Mike to collect that so you're heard, it's your business, but also let Mike process, decide, disseminate, you know, hey, we're going to focus on this. We're not. Let me hear from Mike, and and then I want to see where you two fall fall in on this. Yeah, so I'm fortunate that they're easy to get a hold of, right? And and I really think of them as board members. Okay, so I tap into them. We've done it different ways, frankly. We have had formal meetings, and typically I'll try to do that every three weeks or so. But it's not the only way. They're they're available. They're here. I'll tap into them. But I really view them somewhat as board members. They have quasi day-to-day roles, make sure from a strategic standpoint and how I'm running the organization, it fits with what their overall view is. So we've done it both ways, frankly. I don't know that we're set on any one specific way, but it's real easy to get a hold of them, make sure that if there's something really important that I need them to, to chime in on. But I think after two and a half years, I have a pretty good handle on what needs to get done and what processes we need to work at and what we need to do from a quality standpoint to get it to the next level from a service or financial performance, that sort of thing. But I've tried to take them out of the day-to-day stuff so they don't have to deal with it and really want them working on things that are going to allow us to grow, whether it's through strategic relationships or just making sure that product development, marketing, that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree exactly where you're coming from. I guess knowing some of the stuff you and I have talked about with respect to EOS as an example, you're still managing the visionaries and you happen to have two of them. Yeah. And that's unpack that a little bit. They're probably coming up with creative ideas on, on a weekly basis. So you, I think you're kind to say, yeah, man, manage it pretty well. I have a general idea where they're going, but you're also probably have a whiteboard with about 25 items on it that, yeah. the, that has popped up into their heads about how yep. maybe they could have a gumball dispenser at right. the end of the, right. the end of the stacker because the yeah. guy over there might like some of that and yeah. you have to 
manage that. So. Yeah. The the golf simulator comes up from time to time. And <laughs> Jeff, it's Jeff, obviously. We all know that. If that becomes Jeff, that's really not consistent with where we're trying to go as an organization. So we're not going to do that. Okay. Darn. Well, but, but yeah, they come up with, they come up with ideas and we'll get together and talk about them. I think the, the nice thing about the three of us is we complement each other in different ways, but I think everybody's got skill sets that they bring to the table. Obviously I know I knew nothing about the industry when I first started. I knew nothing about our customer base, right? So I don't spend a lot of time with customers, frankly, because these guys have that piece covered. I spend a lot of time with my team making sure that we're taking care of customers from a service standpoint. But I think we complement each other, and I think that's been one of the things that's been a great benefit to us. I I, I envision the employees of Hair being there for a long time. I can't imagine the turnover being great. Where I'm going with this, Mike, and obviously these guys have been around for a long time and been working alongside these two gentlemen, and then you come in with some ideas. I imagine they didn't just stop going to Keith and Jeff right off the bat, or how have you navigated through that change management? Yeah, so you know, there have been things that have come up where people, I've had to kind of redirect either one of them. you know, an employee or I'm working on something and then Jeff jumps in and, you know, we'll have to have the conversation how, you know, as the president, that's really my responsibility and we can't usurp my authority because it won't work, that sort of thing. Those are simply conversations around staying in our lane, so to speak. Just a valuable lesson because I think that, again, hair is not unique. There's many owner operators in our industry that either promote next generation around the company or outside and there's strengths and weaknesses that that you've thrived on and it's hard to simply step aside and and i think the complementary aspect of it is probably pretty important but also it's really from my perspective the way i always looked at how success can take form is your ability on how you respond when someone comes in to talk to you about something that probably should be something that mike takes care of and how would you two grade yourselves quite candidly on your ability to to listen so the employee feels like they're heard, but also say, hey, this is really something that we've entrusted Mike to handle. On a scale of A to F, how do you score yourselves in your ability to do that? And I guess it's probably getting better as your relationship evolves, but maybe just reflecting back at the beginning, I know it can't be easy. Oh, it was impossible. When Keith and I are there all the time and we're handling everything, it was always, we dealt with it. Herb, Keith, and, and, and I dealt with it. And then Herb left, and now we're picking up that that part of it as well. And yeah, at the beginning, it was very difficult, and you would listen, and, and then you would say, you know what, why don't we get President Mike involved? And so then we would get President Mike involved. And so back then, on the scorecard, I was an F, right? Right off the get-go. It's being asked to do something I, I didn't do, but is people look to Mike as our leader. And, and, and I think, you know, it's a natural thing. Mike had to prove himself. Who is this guy? Why is he coming to here? People, I think, were questioning Keith and I. And now here we are two and a half, three years down the road. And I, on my personal sport, scorecard, it's an A. People don't come to me anymore like that. Or Mike will grab Keith or I and, and bring us into a meeting if need be. And what about you, Keith? Yeah, before I answer that, I, I think it's important to understand Mike's timing of coming in. So it was at that point, we're in COVID, Doug's basically gone, Herb's announcing he's going to be gone. And that's when Jeff had come to me and said, we really, we're going down to two. We're busier and bigger than we've ever been. I don't want to work more and take on all these others' responsibilities. And that's when we hired Mike. And yes, that became a, it was an unusual time because you asked about the transition of leadership. Jeff and I really never had the full baton in our hands. It was always the four horsemen. So we were never individually ever truly leading hair. We were in our various lanes and elements, clearly. But so that did help with the transition with Mike because neither one of us were fully in the full leadership role, but it was very hard, especially from the sales side. Cause I have guys coming to me and are like, why do we have to talk to him on this offer? He says, he doesn't even know anything. And let's just <laughs> come on. We need to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I had an F in my 
column for quite some time, but after taking the same test over and over again, I finally have started to raise the grade. It's, yeah. I guess that's really what what drives um, these podcasts is this open and honest discussion about how we can reflect on our strengths and weaknesses. And I think it's really impactful to me what you just described in how you both graded yourself, but also just the candor of, yeah, we four of us ran this company. And, and in the span of about 12 months, it became two. All right. I want to continue this though on the pathway now of Austin is in the business. Jimmy's been in the business. How do you manage the dynamic of maybe what gets talked at Labor Day Barbecue versus Mike's ability to lead and manage your next generation? How, how does that dynamic flow in a way? Was it a, um, and there's no right answer, is, there, is it a family business um, that um, is going to operate like a family business or is it a family business that's going to operate like a performance-based business and how, or, and have you even gotten that far in the process yet to say that's the way we want to go? Maybe just pop the top on Jimmy coming in and Austin coming in and how that evolves and what the future may hold and on how you decide you want to, you want this pathway to go. I'll go first, Jeff. Yes, sir. <laughs> Even before Austin came on, Jimmy was clearly there, but with our growth in, we're now north of 200 machines in North America, we have, it was clear that the Wild West ne needed some organization, and that was the reason we brought Mike in, and it really, it's been a big speaking point. We've always been a lifestyle culture company. We don't want to lose the culture, but we need to tighten the reins on the lifestyle part of it. So we've been talking about performance-based companies since Mike came on without losing the culture. Again, back to my uh, mentor friend, Jim Haglin, when he brought on a president to run his company, we've had a lot of discussions on that and how do we back off. And I guess what really was amazing to Jeff and I were in some of the meetings that Mike had with us were he's showing charts and data and statistics and Excel spreadsheets on things we had didn't even know you could do, we realized that these are strengths that we don't have. And it was important for us to become more of a performance-based company. I'd say we are still a family company in the respect that you still have two senior partners there with kids now in the business, but they look at Mike as the president of this company. Thank you. Mr. D'Angelo, I'm going to go to a meeting that we had a long time ago, way down in Texas, and we had a speaker by the name of Jim Collins come to that meeting. And what he talked about at that meeting has been something that Harris lived by from that day forward. And it was a simple concept. And it was, listen, you got to get the right people on the bus, but then you got to get the right people on the right seats on the bus. And I don't think there's a, a month that goes by that we don't talk about that. As we look at hair and we look at that organization, maybe there are people that have been on the right seats on the bus, but as we grow, maybe they need to move over to another seat, right? To me, the greatest asset that any company has are its people. I don't care if you're a dentist. I don't care if you're an attorney. I don't care if you want a bowling alley. People are the greatest asset. Jimmy gets out of uh, Indiana University and uh, was set up to have a local job in, in Maryville, and the timing wasn't good. And if you are a Quinn kid, you do not sit at home. That's not an option. And so we needed some help in the back. I said to Keith, you know what? Jimmy's been working here in the summers. Can he come in? He says, bring him in. And at the time, we were fortunate enough to have Bill Heinz working for us. Bill Heinz, ex of Ideal Box, industry veteran, and he said, Jeff, you know what? I, I want to get Jimmy into a different role here. We have a need for him on the hair technical support side of the business. Again, putting Jimmy in the right seat on the bus. And Keith came to me and several years later and said, listen, Austin's going to be graduating. I think he's got talents in, in sales. A good young man. Let's get him into the company. And I said, fine. But here's the thing about Jimmy and Austin. They may have the same last name as we do, but that doesn't give them any other privileges than anybody else that is within the organization. Keith and I have spent a lifetime dealing with family businesses. We understand what works and we understand what doesn't work. 
when I'm there and Jimmy Quinn is there and Austin Umloff is there, they're no different than anybody else at Hare. And it really has afforded us the opportunity now with President Mike there that our interaction with our boys on a day-to-day basis relative to the business are really non-existent. What I find funny is uh, Jimmy's wife, Stephanie, every time we get together for a social event, which is pretty much what, Keith, every other day at the Quinn house, right? (laughs) That sounds about right. Stephanie looks at me and says, are we going to talk business again? And I said, I'm not the one bringing it up. Jimmy's the one that's bringing it up. (laughs) So the future is bright and they're... It's such a joy to have them as part of the company and to understand what Keith and I have now been doing for a lifetime. Austin didn't make it to to Core Expo, but Jimmy made it to Core Expo. And at the end of the thing, he looked at me and he says, oh my gosh, I had no idea, right? That this is what you did. So it's very rewarding and it's very gratifying. That's great. Mike, I want to pivot back to you and your leadership in the transition we asked these guys to grade themselves and in terms of your transition and you said you spent a lot of time just observing what else have you done to earn the trust of these people that have been around these two gentlemen for a long time so they have the willingness to come to you and not them yeah i think i think i've been clear to people that i'm not coming in here to make wholesale changes that I, my job here is to take this great organization and take it to the next level to me which means greater performance right new entering new businesses, new markets, that sort of thing. From that perspective, it's really, I think, been communication in terms of my role. I'm a big believer in org charts and role clarity and people understanding what their job is. When we talk about Jimmy and Austin, I think they're pretty clear about what their job is. And I think it makes it easier, you know, for people to understand that even though they happen to be the sons of the owners, they have a job to do, right? And uh, I'm pretty clear about that with them. So, uh, and they also happen to be very talented young men. Um, I spent a lot of time in my healthcare career me- mentoring young people that were in graduate programs. And I've told these guys, I said, they're really bright, smart, committed young people. And they're like, really? So I'm like, yeah, you got really good kids here and they have bright futures. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, trust me on this one. But I think it's really p- getting people to the point that they understand they can trust me. We're going to work together to get to a different place. Uh, let's pivot. Um, Keith, you, you alluded a little bit to just mentors in your professional career. Um, maybe just share with us, the three of you, just people in, over your lifetime that professionally have made a significant impact on your career, your style that you attribute to helping you along the pathway to, to where we are today. For me, I was hired at 19 years old by Doug Muller and Tom Hare. And I'll never forget when I interviewed with Doug and he's hiring me for the shop in the back. We had a great interview and I get to the door and I'm ready to walk out. And I turn around and I looked at him. I said, oh, by the way, do you guys pay a salary with this job? Because he never brought it up intentionally, right? Gene, you know, that's Doug, right? And we had a good laugh over that. Being able to work with Doug and to really understand Doug, not just as a, at that time as my boss, but as a person and and as a father and as a husband, it was always black and white for Doug in business. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. And you talk about roundtable discussions. You got Keith and I sitting there full of piss and vinegar, and you got Doug sitting there as the wise old sage, and he's looking at us and he's saying, look, you got to do the right thing. Is what this People are doing to us. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. And could we go to court and potentially win when you get in those situations? Maybe we could, but it's not worth it. You got to do the right thing. Write the check and move on. And I look back at that time, and at the time I thought to myself, this old guy's lost it, man. Where's this fight? Let's go out and take on the world. But I look back at it now, and it was the smartest thing that we could have ever done. So Being next to Doug for all of those years and being right there and having those discussions and talking about family and talking about business and talking about our employees and our customers, he's by far had the most impact on me relative to the way that I function in business today and the way that I function as a person. You're not going to find a better person than Doug. And the lessons that we've all learned through all those years are lessons that still are a part of here today. You mentioned earlier, you knew how to sell. How did you know how to sell? 
I think selling is all about a passion. If you're, if you believe in what you're doing and uh, forget whatever the product is that you're selling, obviously it has to be a good product. To me, it's all about the relationship. People buy from people that they like. People buy from people that they trust. And knowing that we were always going to do the right thing, that made it so much easier, right? If I'm selling to you, Joe, and you're a personal friend of mine, and you know that I'm going to take care of you, and I know that hair is going to take care of you, that makes it easy. That makes it simple. And that really is part of the true success of hair today that Tom started with. Tom put it into motion, Doug took it to the next level, and here we are today. But when we were young, again, was, boy, this old guy's lost it. But guess what? <laughs> now I'm an old guy. What about you, Mr. Umloff, other than Mr. Quinn, who are your mentors? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> well, I referenced uh, Jim Hagland, and I'll give you a, a prime example of how he's been just a dear friend and mentor in my life. So in 1998, when my triplets were born. Two days later, this big triplet stroller shows up at the house, but that's Jim as a friend. But two weeks later, he calls and he says, so how's, how are things going at home? I'm like, oh, Jim, this is crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't slept, haven't ate. Hey, have you started their college fund yet? Jim, really? <laughs> and I'm like, Jim, I haven't had time to think. He said, Keith, you need to go start a college fund. You've earned my trust, you've earned my business, and you will continue to get my business, but I want a commitment from you. Any business, any earnings that you get from the business I do with you, I need you to promise that you will put that away in a college fund. And I'm going to call you monthly for the next 18 years to ask you how you're doing relative to that. And he did. And he did. That is. Yeah. And Jim's my Midwest business mentor, business friend, I guess the other industry mentor friend that I has poured a lot into me and I have gained just incredible insight and wisdom from would be Bob Cohen from Acme Corrugated. I've been dealing with Bob for over 30 years. There's been nobody that I've wanted to throw out of a window pane more than Bob <laughs> Cohen over the years. But Bob is tough. Bob is fair, but he's taught me a great deal about wisdom, about taking care of your people, about customers, and about being a visionary. Bob is a visionary. Mike, I'm sure the names we might not recognize, but maybe where does your leadership style come from? And In terms of, of mentors and leadership style, I had the privilege to work with a, a man by the name of Bob Clapp, who I worked for about six or seven years. And I've had a lot of great bosses over the years, but he was truly unique. And I, he came to the organization I work for from the South, and he was a true Southern gentleman. And I remember when he started, I thought, I told my wife, I said, I don't know how this is going to work out. He's Southern Baptist and I'm Irish Catholic. I'm not sure if we're going to hit it off or what. And I remember the first meeting I had with him, I told my wife, I said, hon, Sometimes new people coming into the organization, they have their own people and I, we may have to be thinking about plan B and so I met with them and I came home and my wife said, how did it go? And I said, he invited us out for dinner. So he was a true Southern gentleman. He was a humble servant. I remember telling him one day, I said, some days I leave work and I just don't feel like I, I, I've, we've accomplished anything. And he said, Mike, you got to look at it over the longer term. He said, we're like sheep herders, right? We're trying to get the flock to a different place and trying to make the world a little bit better. And he was just a great man and unfortunately lost him much too soon, but really take a lot of my leadership style from him. He was a man of the people, but really just viewed his role as trying to help people and be a servant to them. So that's where I take my leadership style. Though we had to get results, that was always important too, but he was just really a true gentleman and just a humble kind of guy. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Joe alluded it to at the beginning and I'd, I'd be interested to explore it. Where do you see our industry going. We have a dear friend, Chuck Wassinger, who's been, we've had the privilege to work with since 2019. Chuck and Clay were together for 27 years up at Batavia Container. And when Chuck started to slow down, Clay, a dear friend of mine said, I know that you guys could use some help with accounting and other areas. Why don't you talk to Chuck? And we brought Chuck on as our business coach in October of 2019. And that relationship continues. But it, it gets to what I, I want to say about the industry. Chuck has a great saying, and he says, 
Entrepreneurs always figure it out. True entrepreneurs figure it out. And you look at where this country was in 2019, and then we roll into 2020 and COVID. Nobody knew what was going to happen. We figured it out, right? The industry figured it out. And the industry went from X to Y relative to the demand for boxes in this country. And the way that people buy today is culturally much different than they bought in 2019. The ability for grandpa and grandma to go on to amazon.com and put their credit card in the computer, which they wouldn't do prior to COVID, that's what they do. And they continue to buy. And so where do I think it's going? I, I don't see it changing. I, I, I see the demand for boxes today, tomorrow, and into the future just to continue rise. Uh, Keith and I had the privilege of uh, being asked to be on the FBA, Fiber Box Association, and we've been to a couple meetings, and this is what they talk about at FBA, the continuous demand for boxes. Is the industry changing? Yeah, we're making boxes. Are the machines different? Absolutely. The old days of 50 by 113 Hooper printer slaughters are gone. I was at the Core Expo and I had a customer pull me off to the side and he said, Jeff, I have a machine for you to sell. I said, what's that, Tony? I got a slitter for, for you to sell for me. I said, what kind of slitter? A corrugator slitter? No, a slitter. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, when's the time, last time somebody asked me to sell a slitter? Call the scrap man. But to your point, Gene, technology has changed dramatically. Jimmy Quinn and uh, Danny Lopez had the opportunity to go over to Italy. We're putting out the launch of a new product line out of Italy called EDF. They've been around for a long time. We have to manage our growth. We just haven't been ready to roll that out into the U.S. market. But when Jimmy and Danny were there, they were in a plant south of Florence where they have two machines that are mirrored side by side. And they're running two high-speed flexos with two, three, or maybe four people. That's it. That's it. So the old days of throwing six guys on an SNS flexo folder glure that could run at 4,500 an hour, and now you're running high-speed flexos at 24,000 an hour with two, three, or four people, yeah, the industry is changing drastically. Yeah, I, and I agree with Jeff on that. I think from a technology point of view, you're going to see no different than you're currently seeing with primarily the big five at this point relative to flexifolder glure lines being fully automated, uh, high speed, um, very few operators. I think you're going to continue to see that transition even now into uh, rotary die cutter lines. The focus has been on the flexos, but uh, more automation, more speed, fewer operators. Um, and then, as we hear and know, is a problem throughout our industry, attracting young people. And what is going to appeal to young people? It's going to be touchscreens. So anything to do with automation, sexy machine is going to be the, the wave of the future, I believe. And, and the other thing that you've got going on today is the machinery of today is so much safer than the old equipment. You look back at when I started, when Keith started, Boy, things have changed dramatically. And the machines of today with the light curtains that they have or the ability to want a stacker to, to kick the blank out underneath rather than having a guy standing there pulling sheets off of a stacker, machines have become a lot more safety conscious today than they've ever been. Mike D'Angelo had the the pleasure of working for Bobst for a long time, and they really, they really led that charge starting over in Europe with that equipment and with the safety side of it. But now that has trickled down through the years, and so equipment being manufactured today is much safer than it's ever been. Mike, I'd be curious to know your perspective just from the outsider point of view, being only in the industry for a couple of years now. Mm. Where do you see it going just obviously without as deep of roots as these two guys? So I came out of an industry that was, um, you know, really l labor and supply intensive, but always looking for ways to get more efficient, right? Always trying to take cost out of the system. And uh, I think that's what, where we're going to see lots of changes going forward is more automation. With the labor challenges and just the cost component of it, you'll see more and more efficient plants and pr maybe even bigger plants and probably consolidation of plants. I really see that automation and technology are going to play a big part of that. So 
maybe wrapping things up, what would the analogy of coming down the mountain as you see bright-eyed young kids headed up, what advice would you want to impart on a 24, 25-year-old embarking on this industry just from what you've seen, what you've learned, what you've experienced? My advice would be this, get involved. Get involved. Join AICC. Join TAPI. Get on the, the councils. Get on the program. Get involved. I look at those two organizations, and that's that was critical for me as, as a young man. And as I walk through Core Expo, I look around, and guess what? The next generation is coming into place. Jerry Fritsch taught me a long time ago. He said, Jeff, if you see somebody that's new, take the time to walk up and, and to welcome them. And so I was at Core Expo this past week, and I went to the back to grab a quick lunch during the trade show, and I saw a young man there that I'd never seen before, and I went over and I introduced myself to him, and he said, this is my first trade show. I said, what do you think? He said, I came from the retail business, and he said, I just can't believe how nice everybody is. It's neat. It is. And so I look at those organizations, and back in the day, the black tie affair with Jim DeLine and Hardy Sanders, and I'm just a, a punk kid. But I was there, and I went at risk, and I went up and I said hello, and I shook hands. And so my advice to the young people today, get involved in AICC, get involved in TAPI, but don't just get involved there or the young professionals or those things, but really get involved, volunteer and, and help. And I think that that's going to make the industry better, and I think that's going to make them better as a person. Jeff, before we move on to, to Keith, I, I guess I can personally say thank you because you did that to my wife when she first got into the industry 20 years ago. You did it to me 15 years ago. And you don't sell anything to me. You never you could. Or, Would you like to buy something? <laughs> yeah, maybe you could. <laughs> but you're a man of your word, Jeff, and that, and, and that means a lot. Well, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. That's a similar story. My mentor, one of my mentors, retired. I was at my first show. And called him on the back edge of uh, the cocktail hour with 500 people. And I said, you're not here. I, I don't know the slightest first thing to, to do here. And, and he said, go find Jeff Quinn, introduce yourself, and he'll take care of the rest. And that's exactly what happened in Las Vegas in 1999. How about you, Keith? What, uh, what do you tell the young crew? I'll answer that question with a short story. I grew up um, very simple upbringing. My family bought a small family farm. And one thing that I think my, if I could pick the one single greatest trait that my father gave me was learn how to work hard. Beth Dutton had a saying on, if you want to make it in this world, there's only four ways to do it. But uh, uh, I wasn't going to inherit it. Uh, I wasn't going to steal for it. So I really only had one option, and that was to work hard. When I was growing up, if you worked hard, everybody else around you was in the same boat. Today, it's a little different. If you're willing to work hard, I think you're really going to you're going to shine right there. And then the other thing I would tell them is continue to learn. I think what AICC has done with the CEO groups is, is invaluable. On the supplier side, we don't have that, but I think one of the questions on your for preparing for this is what would you have done different? I would have taken on active learning sooner in my career. Four years ago, I did get involved with a, a group of businessmen outside of the industry in a number of different industries. But the value that I have gained from that, and it's Jesus Pete's, I'm doing this in my 50s. I, if I would have started this 20, 30 years ago, how much further I might be. Work hard, continue to learn. And treat others well. Treat just it, these simple truths. Just treat others like you would want to be treated. Be respectful. And you're going to be fine. That's great. Mike? Yeah, I would, I would counsel young people to not just think about that first job, but also think about the industry. Even having come from different industries, industries are unique and they have their own culture, so to speak, right? If you could look at the industry, and I would recommend the corrugated industry because, as Jeff said, people in this industry are, are really good, solid people. And I don't know that every industry is that way, right? It's a very collegial environment. And I think 
people have made a lot of friends in this industry and gotten to know family members when I look around the table. That's not how every industry operates. So if you have the opportunity as a young person and you're making that career decision, take a look at the industry and try to understand the industry a little bit as you make those decisions. And so I think that's important. And I'd recommend this industry to any young person, particularly women, because we're not a very diverse industry. And I would think there's lots of opportunities for folks. And then the Keith's comments, I was one of six kids in a house with one bathroom, right? So grew up with a bunch of brothers and sisters and just treat somebody like you want to be treated. Just work hard, be respectful, understand what the organization's trying to accomplish, understand what the boss's goals are, and make sure you're trying to hit on those things. I'd be remiss not to bring this up because we've been doing this now for 16, 17 months, and we've talked to a lot of people. And maybe in a quarter of our interviews, one name keeps coming up when we ask people, name somebody that's helped you build your business or name somebody that's responsible for part of your success. Gum on your shoe. Always shows up. Always shows up. Ben Liskey. Ben Liskey. Gets mentioned. (laughs) In half a dozen podcasts. (laughs) I called Hare and back and he sold me a Flexo (laughs) and a die cutter. (laughs) It's quite remarkable, actually, uh, how many times he gets mentioned. Maybe it goes back to your guys' point about people and the people you bring upon you, but maybe leave us with some words about the people that you guys have working with you and alongside you. As I said earlier, the greatest asset of any company is its people, and we have got the greatest team out there. And as we were talking with Mike and trying to get Mike to come on board with us, I said, Mike, you're not going to meet a better, great group of people than we've got at Hair right now. And we're very blessed. Nobody ever leaves. If they retire, they leave. But other than that, they're there. And you look at Ben Liskey, and Ben, I apologize if I don't have the numbers, but I think Ben is celebrating his 25th year this year. And he came into us. He had sold uh, uh, boots at Berry Brothers for years, and then he came out of a company called Screw Conveyor and was newly married and was looking for a job. And he came in and he interviewed with Doug and Herb. And Doug and Herb looked at him and said, Ben, we're in a niche industry and we got this warehouse in the back and we've got millions of dollars worth of equipment. And Ben rolls back into the old hair warehouse with the bad yellow lights. Remember they had those bad yellow lights and all this junk machinery sitting around on top of each other and it's dirty and Goes home and he looks at his wife and he says, I, I think these guys are like a front for the cartel or something. I don't know what's going on. They're telling me this stuff is worth millions of dollars, right? And ben is an absolute rock star. And, and why is Ben a rock star? Keith talks about working hard. I can honestly tell you Ben Liskey works hard every day of his life. That's the family that, that he came from. And in terms of being a compassionate person and somebody who cares, Ben is the guy very impressive and we're so happy to, to to have Ben and it's just the guy never ceases to amaze me and Ben's a true professional and nobody works harder for you than Ben does. They said at the top from an outsider looking in at the the ads and your presence in the website and then hearing you guys talk about your people it's a real testament to the culture you guys have built and and, and certainly the presence that you're projecting seems to be exactly who you are internally credit to you guys for building an excellent business and mike keep it rolling no pressure there's a bit of pressure there right <laughs> the last thing i want to do is screw it up right but we'll make sure that doesn't happen i've known you guys a long time i i feel like we've only scratched the surface maybe maybe i have too much inside baseball but <laughs> but, but appreciate you coming on and this has been wonderful Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. Yep. Yeah, thank yep. you all. Yeah, it's very, it's very humbling to be sitting in this room for the growth that we've had and just to be amongst the people that you guys are interviewing to be part of this. So we're humbled. Thank you. Breaking Down Boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.